weapons. Keep those actions clear. We'll see you on the beach. It's like trying to find a needle in a stack of needles. You're going to be sent home wrapped in an American flag with a hunk of cheese that was in your ass. Welcome to Worth the Watch Podcast. I'm your host, Ed Palilla. With me as always, Mike Kennedy. Hello, Mike. Hello, Eddie. How are we doing today? Uh, I'm good. Mike, when I made a list of movies I wanted to go over when you and I were starting this podcast, Saving Private Ryan was one of the movies I circled that I really could not wait to do. And I mean, I rarely say I can't wait for stuff, but I really, really could not wait to do Saving Private Ryan. Uh, It's the highest rated movie we had based on the matrix I created, which was kind of based on Rotten Tomato score, audience score, IMDb score, and how much I wanted to do it. And I kind of, build a little multiplier in there. And this came out as the highest rated movie out of all of them. And my eyes lit up and said, I cannot wait to do that movie. Uh, the reason we picked to do Save a Private Ryan now is uh, June 6th of this year will be the 75th anniversary of the D-Day invasion. So there's going to be a lot of stuff coming out. We wanted to kind of get ahead of the game a little bit on it. I'm sure you're going to be seeing a lot of things probably starting right around Memorial Day. And this, this will probably get released right before Memorial Day um, in, in good timing. This movie was released July 24th, 1998. It had a budget of only $70 million. And I say only $70 million. That would have been probably about one hundred and fifty in today's money. But uh, for $70 million, they were able to make this movie. They did a great job with what they spent. Yes, they did. Uh, they grossed $216 million domestically. But what kind of surprised me was this movie made $481 million worldwide. And for a movie that I don't want to say glorifies the United States role in World War II, but it kind of does. You know, it only focuses on the U.S. It still did that well worldwide. You would think a movie like this would do a lot better domestically than it would worldwide. No, no I, I definitely agree with you on that. I think part of it, too, is it, like you said, it pretty much just follows that small group throughout the entire movie and I, oh also like when, you, when you're talking about like it was a rated r movie yes and uh i have some things about that a little bit later about steven spielberg potentially this movie almost was nc-17 yeah he said he said i remember he said he didn't care that even if it was nc-17 he was gonna make it nc-17 yeah he was gonna release I, it uncut and actually yeah. you know what I'll, I'll read the other one off too because the censor board in india I believe mm-hmm. um, I, read this. I read the same thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The censor board. What do I have that? Um, the film was blocked by the censor board in India for too much violence. The board demanded cuts that Steven Spielberg declined to make. And instead he decided not to release the movie in India at all. Realizing the seriousness of the situation, the then home minister of India saw the movie himself and impressed in order to be released uncut. The movie itself obviously is extremely brutal, especially certain scenes of it the opening sequence obviously is the worst i'm I'm glad he did what he did it's no it could be tough to watch but it makes it worth it well it was the highest grossing movie in 98 and it was also the last r-rated movie to lead the box office charts until 
American Sniper. Correct. Another war movie, which obviously that would make sense. Just something else about that. They, um, you said it cost, what, $17 million? 70. 70, 70 million. But Omaha Beach cost, I think, is, uh, I've got two different uh, numbers. It was between 11 and $12 million to shoot. That's still pretty cheap to shoot that scene. I think it's – I might have it later. I think it took them almost a month to shoot that scene. It, I believe you're right, and it was talking about how each day they kind of worked their way up the beach. Which is – Spielberg – we're going to get into Spielberg later, but Spielberg's the only one that could pull that off. So, All right, let's move into some of the other stuff, and then we'll come back around to some yeah. of those. What would be your guess Rotten Tomatoes score on this, Mike? Uh, the uh, critic score. Critic score, I mean, I can't imagine them not liking this maybe 91 92 if it were oh. me i'd say this movie should be 100 obviously but you can see some people took some points out for violence i get that because they're giant pussies but this movie is about as perfect as it gets where would you think the audience placed it you said 92 is 92 the... was the the critics um 97? 95. I would have thought closer to 97. I mean, I, I don't know if there's a movie out there that they've rated 100% or anything like that, but that's that's for both of them being over 90, you know this movie's awesome. Yes, yes. And the IMDb score, 8.6 out of 10. To crack 8 is good. To crack 8.5, I think if you go on uh, um, like AFI, 100 greatest movies of all time from IMDb score, I think it's number 4, maybe. Behind like, or uh, maybe not number four, probably in the top fifteen. Behind like Godfather Part Two, um, some of those super old classics like Citizen Kane ish kind of stuff. Uh, Eight point six um, is extremely I'll, I'll high a, for IMDb. I'll do a quick look up. Yeah, why don't you look at that? I'll uh, tell you the number one, the number one rated movie, Shawshank Redemption, at nine. Uh, that, <laughs> that that wouldn't surprise me. That movie is incredible. In case you didn't have enough evidence that the Os- Oscars are a complete fucking joke. This movie lost to Shakespeare in Love for the best picture. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we all know how great that turned out. There's a, a, a website I read constantly, and one of my inspirations for this podcast said that the Oscars should come out five years after the movies are released. And I think it's very, very, very intelligent to say that because movies need time to marinate. And that's the reason on this podcast ourselves we don't do movies that have been out for less than five years because sometimes they need a little time to simmer and people get a little nuts and you've got the oscars are more about who can campaign and one thing about this now we talked about harvey weinstein and super troopers and how he helped them get going but putting that guy back in the shit category he was the one that produced shakespeare in love and he went out and campaigned for Shakespeare in Love and bashed the violence in this movie and ended up having it lose the Oscars. So you can go back to hell, Harvey Weinstein. Yeah. Uh, just to answer your question real quick yes. there while I have it up. There's a couple that's all rated 8.6. Like Interstellar is rated That movie 8.6. sucks. That At movie number sucks. 16. <laughs> I, I don't think it sucks, but I, I, don't, I don't, wouldn't have it rated 8.6. No, I'd have it rated about 6.6. It, it's, it's also... Only five years old, this is older, so you get a couple of those people that rate things a little bit. Things are higher. But like, there's a movie called City of God. I've never even seen it. That crime movie drama. is kind of slow. It's about like crime in Rio de Janeiro in the, uh, the slums of Rio. In the slums yeah. of Rio, yeah. It's, it was like, it's half documentary-esque. 
that I think that's why it got more. It's it's frustrating because like it shows the rating, but then it shows their meta score, and the meta score for Saving Private Ryan is a ninety-one, uh-huh. and and the two movies ahead of it are a seventy-nine and a seventy-four. Well, there you go. That tells you a it, lot right there. It's like you know, it's like uh, you know, like you said, there's a lot of good. You know, Lord of the Rings is on their four scumps ahead sure. of it. Um, Fight Club, mm-hmm. Twelve Angry Men, Schindler's List, Pulp Fiction. All three of the Lord of the Rings are ahead of it, which I don't agree with. Mm, I don't go on. I they're, like all they're good, but I'd put I Saving they're, Private They're all good, but I would put Saving Private Ryan. You're right, Godfather Part 2, Dark Knight, Godfather, you know, Shawshank. Like, those are the movies that are. Yeah, yeah. Are those are, I won't, I won't argue because, although Pulp Fiction is very violent too, but. Good, good fellows, One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. And then there's this one movie that I haven't seen, and now I want to see it. It's from 1954 called Seven Samurai. Oh, I've heard about that movie. I've heard of it too, but I've never seen it. It's got a meta score of 98 too. So now I'm really interested in seeing it. And that's right up your alley. We, we had, we discussed, I forget which episode it was about how much you love Asian karate movies. Yeah. It's like, and that's, you know, it can have subtitles or anything. It's because the way that they do their fight scenes, they're not the up close, real shaky. You can go back and they do everything. They're good at the fight scenes. Like they're actually capable of doing all the fight scenes. I might, I I might've said this before. I forget who the director is. Whoever did the Bourne movies, he was the first one that came up with the up-close, shaky fight sequence. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And ever since then, movies have done that because they take longer to shoot, but they're easier to cut together and make a good-looking fight scene out of it. You don't have to have someone that's a really good fighter because they don't have to choreograph multiple fight se- like multiple punches and multiple moves. So that's the reason you see that now because it takes less time to choreograph and less time to shoot. Because you can just go, okay, you're going to go punch him in the head. Cut it. Yep. You're going to go kick him in the leg. You don't have to go punch, kick, da, 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 all that stuff. Anyways, back to where we were. Yeah. So let's get into the cast of this movie. I broke this into two categories, which is essentially the unit and then all the cameos that are in this movie. Because there's a lot of cameos that came in. Some of the names you're going to recognize right away. Some of them you might not. Look them up on IMDb. These are faces you'd recognize. I'm not going to go through what everybody's been in. There's just too many people. Let's start with Captain Miller, played by Tom Hanks. Mel Gibson and Harrison Ford were both considered for the role of Captain Miller before Steven Spielberg decided on casting Tom Hanks. Not a surprising one with Tom Hanks. Tom Hanks and Steven Spielberg are buddies. They've done several things. Well, actually, this is their first movie. Oh, okay. Well, there we go. And it actually all came in together. Here's your fun fact. In one day, they both somehow got like a hold of the script at the same time, both liked it and contacted each other. No, nice. Good. So that's how that happened, actually. Well, that was a marriage made in heaven because those two together have made a lot of good movies. We're going to get into Spielberg's career a little later. And I think like three of the movies I picked are Spielberg and Hanks. So uh, next is Matt Damon plays Private Ryan. Interesting thing about Private Ryan, he doesn't show up till an hour and a half into the movie. A couple other things. Neil Patrick Harris was considered for the role of Private Ryan. I don't like that. Uh, Steven Spielberg considered casting Matt Damon after viewing his performance in Courage Under Fire, but thought he was too skinny. However, Matt Damon had put himself on a crash diet for the movie to appear emaciated. Robin Williams introduced Matt Damon, who had come back to his regular weight, to Steven Spielberg on the set of Goodwill Hunting, and Steven Spielberg changed his mind, which is awesome. On top of that, Spielberg cast Matt Damon as Private Ryan because he thought he was kind of an unknown, all-American-looking boy. 
What he didn't know is in the process of casting and making this movie, Matt Damon would win an Oscar for Good Will Hunting and become an overnight star. So, yeah, at the time they made this, he was kind of just supposed to be this guy. And it turned out to be this huge, you know, he was massive at that point. He still is now. But at the time, you know, when Good Will Hunting came out, they were on top of the world. Well, same with that with the known Neil Patrick Harrison, too. I'm not saying it would have been good or bad. It's just that now you imagine you know Patrick Harris is like that comedic actor, and I, and you wonder if he takes this role, does a good job, does his acting career take a different route? Like does yeah. he get How I Met Your Mother? You know, does he get those roles? You role, know, like, he got you. Know. I, someone fact check me on this. I feel like he got How I Met Your Mother because of Harold and Kumar. Like he's hysterical, in Harold and Kumar just playing this crazy dude who does drugs and chases chicks all the time. And in reality, that's not who he is at all, but he played it off really well and got the, and I think that helped him get that because he would, he would have done nothing since Doogie. He was Doogie oh, and yeah. then he was that. So that was like half of the funny part of Harold and Kumar is he's this random celebrity who acts absolutely insane, insane and is quite funny doing it. I was going to say too, that Excuse I me. saw that they actually, they offered the role to Edward Norton as well. But he declined it, and he did the movie American History X, which is another good movie, but fucked good up. Movie. It's fucked up. Okay. Yes. Next, next guy I got. Uh, Tom Sizemore plays Sergeant Horvath. Tom Sizemore was battling drug addiction during production. He's been battling drug addiction a long time. Spielberg gave him an ultimatum that said he would be blood tested on set every day of filming, and if he failed once, he'd be fired, and the part of Horvath would be recast and reshot with someone else even if it was the end of the production. Sizemore agreed, passed every drug test. Unfortunately, he has relapsed. I can't even count how many times for drug abuse late a- after this. Also, supposedly Billy Bob Thornton turned down the role of Horvath because he did not want to do the Normandy Beach scene because he's afraid of water. Don't know if yeah, that's true aqua- or not. He's got aquaphobia. And this is, we could call this Tom Sizemore's twin. Michael Madsen was offered the role of Sergeant Horvath, but he turned it down and recommended his friend, Tom Sizemore. Madsen and Sizemore kind of, they're interchangeable as actors. They're kind of the same person. I like Michael Madsen too. I think he's a really good actor. Yeah. No, I definitely, I I agree. No. Okay. So some of the other, those are the ones I have the most facts about. Uh, Some of the other actors I have, uh, well, actors in this, Ed Burns plays Private Robin. Barry Pepper plays Private Jackson. Adam Goldberg plays Private Mellish. Vin Diesel, in his acting premiere, plays Private Caparzo. Giovanni Ribisi plays the T4 medic Wade. And Jeremy Davies plays Corporal Upham. If you don't know who any of those people are, you probably haven't seen this movie enough times. I won't really like get Adam, into what they've all gone and done. I'm just like done. Adam Goldberg, Days and Fuse, gets yeah. his ass kicked. Then Diesel uh, five, Bird, Fast Five, yeah. Uh, you know, fifteen minutes confidence, twenty-seven dresses, Barry Pepper, uh, sixty-one. Um, we were soldiers. Yeah, he, we, uh, that's the main thing. He's the camera guy, and we were soldiers. Yeah. One of the things I think. Of Which too. is weird. He's such a sniper in oh, this, and then he a, can't shoot. He's actually, 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 he's also in uh, the Green Mile with Tom Hanks. Oh yes, yes he is. If you yeah. haven't ever seen sixty-one, it kind of came and went. It's actually a pretty good movie where he plays Roger Maris. He plays it really well. He's actually a good actor. I wish he was in more. Yeah, Gian, um, Giovanni Ribisi, he's in uh, Gone in 60 Seconds. Too. For the record, not as a person, as an actor, I fucking hate Giovanni Ribisi. No, I, Just I don't put that I don't, out there. I guess I don't mind him because 
he's never like really like the main character. Like I thought he was he was did a good job in the movie Ted. Ted <laughs> That's, I can't stand him though. Like, <laughs> I, he he plays he a does, perfect weirdo, but he's yeah. always like the biggest whiniest bitch ever in everything. I can't stand him. Um, and he's like a complete just idiot in friends and he's obnoxious and gone in 60 seconds and he's obnoxious and everything everything although i will say in ted he's pretty funny he's the all he plays it so well because i think that's how he is in real life and then uh jeremy davies he was in justified and a couple uh seasons of that if you've ever seen justified he's been in a couple other things but yeah he's he's not as big as all of them and i haven't seen that tv show that rubisi's I can't remember what it's called. The but newest he, one he had? Yeah. It's, yeah I think I, going. And, uh, I don't know. I don't know. I don't follow his career very well because I can't stand him. There's a lot of cameos in this, including Brian Cranston with only one arm. If, you don't, if you're not paying attention, you don't really notice it, but he's missing his left arm. No, no I, I, yeah. I noticed that. Dennis Farina, Ted Danson, Paul Giamatti, Ryan Hurst, Nathan Fillion, Leland Orser, Max Martini and Dylan Bruno. Now, again, I'm not going to go through everything they're in because there's just too many of them. But some of those names like Cranston, Dan- uh, Ted Danson, and Paul Giamatti, you definitely should know the names. Some of the other people, if you look them up, you're going to go, oh, that's that guy. Like Nathan Fillion's the guy from Castle. And Dylan uh-huh. Bruno was in Numbers. Uh, there, a couple of the other ones you can, you can look up. But th- there's a ton of cameos in this, especially big names like Cranston before he got really big. Ted Danson. Uh, his career had kind of fallen apart for a while. It was Cheers and Three Men and a Baby. And then he got this and they realized he could act in a little more serious roles. And that kind of helped relaunch his career, which if you ever saw him in CSI, he's really good in CSI. And Paul Giamatti is before he really got big either. Yep. So why don't we get into the movie synopsis, Mike? All right. Story begins on uh, June 6, 1944 in Normandy. Uh, Captain John Miller and his men land on Omaha Beach where the battle begins to rage. The American soldiers are massacred on the beaches and do anything and everything they can to survive with the aid of Bangalores, which you know what that is. It's kind of like a giant pipe bomb. The uh, American units cross various obstacles and eliminate the last German defenders. The losses are huge, though. Um, At the same time, we learn that in England, three of the four brothers of the Ryan family have died in battle. A rescue mission is organized to find the last of the four brothers, James Francis Ryan, who parachuted behind enemy lines the day before landing uh, with his airborne forces. Um, Captain Miller is accompanied by a small elite group of Army Rangers, and they set off to find Ryan. After one mistaken identity and two deaths of the soldiers who accompany him, the other soldiers begin to question the mission. With little luck, they locate Ryan, who is with a group of soldiers responsible for monitoring a very important bridge over the Murdette, Murdette River, I believe. That's close that enough. Yeah. Close enough. Um, Miller tells Ryan that he has lost his three brothers and that he's going to be sent home. But Ryan does not want to abandon his comrades. Miller decides to stay with Ryan and help defend the bridge against the Germans. The Germans attack, at, and at the last moment, while Miller's men are retreating, and the Germans are crossing the bridge. Allied planes and reinforcements save the day. Of the eight men who went in search of Ryan, only two would manage to get away with their lives. Um, Ryan is sent home where he will live the 
live out his life the best he can to honor the men who sacrificed and die for him. Very good, Mike. Well done. Well done. Before we Bye, move on to our next scene, let's take a quick break with a word from our sponsor. Before we get into a lot of the discussion of scenes in the movie, I wanted to add some background to kind of provide some context to the movie itself, some information about World War II a little bit. I'm a World War II junkie, like hardcore World War II junkie. I'm not going to get that deep, I promise. And if I do, Mike, you can reach through the phone and smack me. (laughs) But uh, so the story of Saving Private Ryan is actually based on based on a real story of the Neyland brothers. There were four American brothers of Irish descent from Tonawanda, New York, who served in the military during World War II. Two of them survived the war, but for a time, only one, Frederick Neyland, was believed to have survived. Of his three brothers, Fritz was sent back to the United States to complete his service. Only later did he learn that his brother Edward, who was missing and presumed dead, was actually a captive in a Japanese POW camp in Burma. So close to being real. Not quite, but close to being real. I don't know if there was actually a, mes- a rescue mission sent for him, but there actually was a group of these that they ended up, um, a group of four brothers that the story is based on. That's um, true. I, saw, I, I did see that. I also read that there is, it's sometimes confused with, uh, there is actually, I think they said there's another family who lost five brothers in world war ii in world war ii oh that's interesting i, I didn't see that one it's probably down in like my internet back somewhere and i'd have to really well this is the one according uh, yeah. to like the imdb and the wikipedia so it's only as valid as that i guess no no no. like you, you're right it was actually um like it, you, you were right it, it was actually about that it's sometimes they said sometimes it's confused with these other these other group of like five brothers or whatever it is that gotcha. it's about. Yeah. Uh, the next thing, according to the opening title card and the cross on the grave that they're looking at the end of the movie, the events of the movie take place from June 6th to June 13th, 1944. So it only actually takes place over seven days. It's kind of crazy, but I guess if you think about it, yeah, seven days would be enough for, for all of that to happen. And, uh, I just, I just looked it up just to give you that. It was called uh, based on the uh, Sullivan brothers a group of five brothers who were killed in action while serving the U.S. Navy. Were they on the same boat? Yeah, the USS... Juno, capital of Alaska. <laughs> uh, I think I've heard that story now that you say that. And now they won't put sir, uh, siblings on the same ship for that exact reason. Hmm. The only other thing I have, at least backstory on the movie, to try and set precedent is the estimated body count of this movie is 255. I guess it's kind of hard with the opening scene, but that's the estimated body count. Yeah, I don't know. With, I don't know, with that, the actual battle at Omaha Beach, uh, I believe it said, sometimes it said 2,000. A lot of it's rough, but it said of the total U.S. figure, they said around 2,499 casualties uh, were from the U.S. airborne troops. Okay, but, but it said only it didn't say it. That's a lot for. Well, of the five beaches in Normandy, Omaha was far and away the worst. Yeah, the other four were not walk in the park, but uh, major victories versus uh, Omaha Beach, which I I believe if I if I have this right, I think the bombing that took place, uh, the ship bombardment of the other four beaches was much better 
and the Omaha beach had a much higher cliff that they had to get up versus the other one. So they were able to, to ascend and land on the beaches easier. Well, with, with Omaha beach too, just the U S first 29 divisions together suffered around 2000 casualties. That sounds about right. Since you already started on it, let's get into some of the facts around World War II to kind of set a precedent of this a little bit. One thing, Mike, you and I were talking about was trying to figure out the age of the people as they were fighting because we started wondering how old they got. Because when you think of the draft, you usually think, well, 18, 19, 20, because the last draft took place during Vietnam, but because of the mass size of World War II. So after Pearl Harbor, the STSA, which I'm not sure what it stands for, was amended extending the terms of service for the duration of the war plus six months and requiring the registration of all men ages 18 to 64 years of age. During World War II, 42 men were registered and about 10 million were actually drafted. So to kind of give that perspective, before Pearl Harbor happened, they said that men were no longer were not required to be active for more than 12 months. So that's when I said they extended the terms of service duration. They extended it out to 30 months, 18 months mm-hmm. longer. And men's ages 18 to 64 were required to at least register for the draft. Now, not all, they're not going to stick a 64-year-old man and have him parachute out of a plane, especially if he's not healthy enough. So they obviously filtered through a lot of it. I think they said 36 million were classified and 10 million were – they called it inducted, but that means they were actually drafted. That's why you have such an age range of – people that were in there, not just long serving members of the military, but actually people that were drafted in the military and trained before the D-Day landing. Got to well, give some perspective. Just on that. you saying that, it makes me think, cause like my grandmother, my grandfather on my mother's side, they were young, was younger than uh, my grandfather on my father's side. They were both in World War II. My grandfather on my mother's side actually, you know, was, you know, saw action and, my on my dad's side he wasn't like actually in the war i can't remember exactly what his role was off the top of my head i should probably ask my dad is my dad has all this stuff he's really into the whole uh family history when it comes to all that and has all the information but i know that like his father didn't wasn't really in you know the action wasn't like fighting and everything like that but he was over there overseas or whatever for it since you say that mike i'm gonna say this real quick anybody that has Family members that were in World War II, which most of us at this point have someone, a grandfather, a a distant relative. It's worth doing a little bit of research if you're interested in knowing, because at some point, the people that know that information are not going to be around anymore. I never asked my grandfather enough. He flew in the South Pacific. One time I sat down with him and he started pointing stuff out. I know he flew in Guadalcanal. I don't know where else he was other than I knew he flew over the streets of Tokyo. over Tokyo Bay, like two days after they conceded. It's a kind of a crazy story. I'm not going to get into it on here because no one really cares. But it, some of the things I know that he did, but a lot of them I don't know, and I really wish I would have sat with him. He's unfortunately passed about five years ago now. No, more than that. God, eight years ago now. And I wish I would have been able to sit down with him and really get into some of what he, what he did and where he flew and stuff. If you've got anybody that knows that and you've got any interest, Get it while you can, because once it's gone, yeah, it's gone. Yeah, you know, with, with that being said, it's like like the same thing. It's like a, my in his later years, like he may have mentioned like a thing here and there to me. I, like I said, I know he opened up to my father um, a lot more about like the kind of stuff that happened. But I, I remember watching the movie We Were Soldiers, 
and not even like you know paying attention with my grandpa there and you know, you'd see him get choked up about stuff like this and any little thing like i said you said like the move the move the well, movie was so PTSD, said, man. the movie was so tough that like they set up like pretty much there was a there was a 1-800 crisis number you could call if you were having PTSD one of the most famous historians is named Stephen Ambrose he wrote a book that essentially was taken by Steven Spielberg and Tom Hanks after this as part of the building of the series Band of Brothers. He has since passed. He did not fight in World War II, but he, know, he is, knew as much about World War II as anybody. His name was Stephen A. Ambrose. He had to stop after the, well, the opening sequence. I, I read that, yeah. And go out of the hall and gather himself and go back in because he knew so much about it that it really resonated with him. Uh, a little tough for some people to watch these. Luckily for you and I, we never had to deal with that. So, uh, some more information about D Day itself. Just if you were looking and you saw all those random metal spikes that were placed everywhere, those were there on D Day. They were anti landing obstacles that the Germans expected the Allies to land at high tide. So, they thought if they landed at high tide, those things would shred the bottom of the boats and it would cause them essentially just to fail right away. But because they landed at low tide, it essentially had no effect at all. It actually probably um, saved lives from like ricochet like that. It did. Exactly. A lot of them got to get behind that stuff as they ran up the beach. So that was an interesting thing. The next thing I want to bring up, you, you hear it referenced real quick. You hear Horvath say about Captain Miller says he's been that way since Kasserine Pass. Kasserine Pass was the first major battle the Americans had with the Nazis. It was in North Africa. They got their ass whooped by the Nazis, and it really kind of woke up the United States military. A lot of them thought that, hey, we did this in World War I. We're going to roll in here, and we're just going to take out everybody. And they found out, oh, shit, these Nazis are really good fighters. Then it went in the battle, obviously, and eventually the war. No shit. But Kasserine Pass was it's, – it's outside, I think, like Tunisia. It, it beat the shit out of the U.S. military. Another thing is the Battle of Rommel, which is the battle that takes place in the final sequence, never took place in real life. The town and the battle are both fictional. A German counterattack over the causeway at La Fiere by the 1057th Grenada Regiment and light tanks against the 100th Panzer Replacement Battalion was the inspiration for the climactic battle in the film. So there actually was a battle that was very similar to this, but the town of Rommel does not exist in real life. And I have more about that later, how they built that, and which is pretty incredible. But we'll, we'll kind of discuss yeah. that at a later time. Yeah. Any other actual World War II facts before we roll on? No, I think we should start getting into the movie a little bit here. Okay, so the be- yeah, <laughs> let's talk about the movie we're supposed to talk about. The best scene or scenes. I mean, does it get better than the DD uh, invasion? You know, I, that's the first thing I have on there is... Omaha Beach. Stand out of your weapons. Keep those actions clear. We'll see you on the beach. You know, it's just, it's, it's a lot. You know, you wa- you're watching it, and it's like, you know, I don't know how many times I've seen that scene, but watching it again for this podcast, like, I'm just, like, I, like, my eyes are just peeled at the TV, and I'm just staring at it, and I'm just like, I'm just amazed by, like, you know, you're amazed anyone survives. Well, it's like, <laughs> I, I know. It, it, I, it, you're watching it, and you're like, how did they make it up the beach? Like, it's just like they... Pure, it was mass numbers. That's the only yeah, thing it and, was. It was like... It, it, that's exactly... It's just like, 
you, know, you see that soldier wandering around with like he's missing his arm and he's carrying his other arm in his hand. Like, you know, right. and I'm just like watching it. I'm just like, that guy's like intestines, like hanging out. He's like screaming for his mama. And you're like, I'm like, you know, it's like, I not like, I don't like a, you know, I don't cry during movies, but like, I can, you know, I can feel like, you know, you feel the emotion, like, just like think of it. Cause like, it's not just that you're watching the movie, but it does. It makes me think I'm like, this shit actually happened. Yeah. You that's know? the that's big thing is it's, it's one thing if you're watching, I don't know, we'll say this cause it's topical, like game of Thrones. I, I don't watch it. You do. You see the bl- the blood and the gore and the stuff going on, but that's in a fictional land. This actually happens, so it adds a whole another level of oh yeah, shit just that, to it. that another layer that you're just kind of like, oh my gosh, like just so much. It's just it's so graphic to pretty much start the movie. You know, Hanks is driving, dragging his buddy. The bomb goes off. The next time he keeps dragging him, half his body's missing. You know, like the half his body's yes. missing, and it's just like just the little scenes, like just the things you know probably actually happened. Like, they get a guy to stop bleeding, and as soon as they stop the bleeding, he gets shot again and killed. Yes. The radio um, guy. Like, the radio guy getting shot. Like yeah. blown off. The guy who gets shot in the helmet, and he pulls it off, and they're all like, lucky son of a bitch. And then, boom, he takes his helmet off, and then and like, he gets yeah. shot in the head again. And I'm just like, oh, my gosh. just It's just so much, you know? It's a lot to and, absorb. It's a lot to absorb. And it is one of those things you see. If you watch it several times, you start – seeing things you didn't see before because there's so much detail and so much going on. So some things about the D-Day invasion concerning the movie a little bit. When you see them vomiting on the boat, it's not just them nervous. The night before the D-Day invasion, the men were actually given like massive meals to try and make sure they had enough energy for the next day. And it was kind of like a last meal-ish feel. And a lot of them got seasick because the wind, w- the thing was so, sea was so well, rough. That's, oh my God. That's they, a, they get that's, seasick that's too. Like, <laughs> you just make me think of more and more just when they, when they open the doors to the boat and the machine guns just riddle them. And then they jump yeah. over the sides and, you know, some of them, you know, can't get their guns off and they're weighted down. They just sink to the bottom of the ocean and they die. Yeah. Just, or they get shot yeah, in the water. Yeah, they get shot while they're in the water and you're just like, oh my gosh, like. And it's like, I question myself over again. I'm like, why, you know, you're, you're watching the scene and you're like, you know, it's real. And you're just like, like, you know, it's like, we, we, we had ships, we had planes. Like, how do we not bomb this? You know, and, and they, they did, they bombed the whole it way just, up. It wasn't effective and I think enough. What, something that I read, and if you don't know this, Ed, and I know this, like, I'm going to be really impressed with myself right now, <laughs> <laughs> is that they actually didn't bomb there right before they were bombing other areas because they didn't want them to know where they were going to be landing their forces. Cause they didn't want them to be able to get reinforcements. Yes. So they didn't actually bomb. They bombed them, but they were bombing the whole coast. They didn't really, where they were landing, they didn't concentrate just there where they could, where if they did, you know, it would have seemed easy, but then the reinforcements would have been knowing where they were landing. Yes. The area they actually bombed the heaviest is an area called the Pas de Calais. It is the shortest distance between the island of Britain and where France is, and it's where Hitler was convinced that they were going to go. Quick little thing. They had Patton in Britain right next to they, – they built an entire fake army out of inflatable tanks and inflatable planes that the Germans would take spy pictures of, and they thought that's where they were going to invade from just so they wouldn't think they were going to invade in Normandy. 
I could do an entire podcast on just D Day, and I'm not going to do that and drive you guys crazy. No. <laughs> but uh, the, yes, that's that you are absolutely the, the right. The other that scene that I, I is because it's a little bit more lighthearted. But the scene that I put down, like it's so easy to just pick these like intense scenes. Yeah, just that's yeah. just that scene when they're they know kind of where he's at, and they stop uh, or asking somebody. And they're talking about the, the the they're talking to the pilot, and he crashes the plane with like the general and everything. Yeah. At the, rally. at the rally point, and, and uh, you know they're looking through the dog tags, and then he just like is like he's not here, and just starts yelling for Ryan, and then randomly yeah. that guy's like, hey, doesn't this guy know Ryan? Yeah, this guy knows Ryan. And then they bring him over, and he had like an explosion or something right by his ear, so you can't hear. And just like how he's just like how they're just talking to him, just kind of it's like you're gonna have to speak up, and, and like and when he says that, like the other guy who can't hear is like, you're gonna have to speak up, and they're like, keep, he keeps repeating, like, my hearing's yeah. not so good, <laughs> like, and I'm, I just thought it was like, it just like, you know, after everything's going on, you're kind of like, get, you're like finding a way to chuckle a little bit throughout the movie. So, the guy he's talking to that can't hear, his name's Ryan Hurst, yeah. you would probably know him better as Gary Routier from Yeah, I was, about, I was really about to say that. I, I think he, he's also we were in soldiers. We Were Soldiers. Yeah. Yep. Yes, and if you watched, I did not, but Aaron did. If you watched Sons of Anarchy, he's in that for quite a while. Named his nickname's I, Opie. I, I, he's I in did that. not watch Sons of Anarchy. So one of the many cameos uh, that was very early in his career mm-hmm. too, because that was actually before even remember the Titans, which was his first big film. All right, uh, a couple more things about D Day, just since we were before we move past uh, that from the scene wise. So the gun that we were talking about, that machine gun, they actually called it Hitler's buzzsaw because of the sound it made. And it shot so fast that it sounded like a buzzsaw. You are correct. The Omaha Beach scene cost $11 million to shoot. They had 1,000 extras, some of whom were members of the Irish Army Reserve. Of those extra, 20 to 30 of them were actually amputees, which they gave prosthetic limbs to simulate the limbs being blown off. The Omaha Beach battle was filmed in a sequence at a four-week period. Moving action up to the beach, shot by shot, day by day. Steven Spielberg claims that none of the storyboard, or none of it was storyboarded in advance, which is insane to think that every day they said, let's do this, let's do that. And they had no real thing set out in advance. No one could have got away from, with that except for Spielberg. Interesting thing, two of the landing craft used in the Omaha Beach scene were actually in use in World yeah, War II. I read about that. And, and an interesting thing, uh, if you ever go on a duck boat tour, Around the United States, almost all of them are former Higgins boats, many of them used on the D-Day landings, which is pretty cool. Either D-Day or uh, Iwo Jima or Okinawa is the main ones that were used for. And the beach in which the Omaha scene is shot is actually on the south of Ireland. So mm-hmm. it was not short at actual Normandy Beach. It was shot yeah, because they have like filming rights or something like at that beach now from whatever. Like, at the one in at, Ireland? At, no, no, no. Uh, Norway. Normandy, Normandy, oh my gosh, I'm just screwing everything up today. Yeah. <laughs> That's okay, Mike. <laughs> Let's get into some of the best yeah. lines then. Um, for, go ahead, I, you can go ahead if you want. Well, I have three. Uh, one is Horvath, he, when he would say, we're in business. I don't know, I just like yeah, You know, I, I thought about that too, because he says it a couple of times in the movie. We're in business, definitely! I'll sign it all! Yeah, it's his, it's his catchphrase. My second one is Tom Hanks's line when they're talking about trying to find Ryan. And they said, it's like trying to find a needle in a stack of needles. Yep. It's one I love to use. Instead of trying to find a needle in a haystack, I love saying trying to find a needle in a stack of needles. It just, it feels better. And then the last one I have, I think you have this one too, Mike. 
Fubar. Yeah, I mean, you got to. Got to have they Fubar. Say, you know, they say it off and on throughout the movie, and it's just kind of the joke that Upham has no idea what it means until yes. he doesn't even say Fubar. He just says, fucked up beyond all recognition, and he catches by like, finally, uh-huh. like, oh, Fubar, that's what that means. Yeah. Well, I like when they kept saying it was German, and he's like, I don't, I don't know that one. I don't know that one. I do have that one. One other one that I have is uh, whenever Miller tells Horvath to, he's like, st- you stay back with Horvath, saying it to up him. He's like, I'll wear him like underwear, Captain. Yeah. <laughs> and then there's that little scene between Horvath and Private Caparzo where he's, he's like, where are you going? He's like, you're going to be sent home wrapped in an American flag with a hunk of cheese in your ass, Caparzo, you smart ass. Yeah, that's then, a good one. <laughs> and then he, lo- he looks back at him and he goes, Wait, I thought you liked it in the ass. He's like, what? I said, I thought you liked it in the ass. <laughs> yeah, that's Ryman yelling about it. Yeah. I also like when they're talking about the Ryan guy, uh, Miller says, he better cure disease or it better longer lasting light bulb. <laughs> <laughs> yep. And that's the thing. Like he says, I think he said what he lost, 93 men under he's, his He's command. at 94 and at the, that and, time. Yeah. And the, the thought of it is, you know, you save five, 10, 20 times that. For each person you save. So it's a really, that's actually a really interesting scene, that conversation between he and Horvath about how you mentally handle being in a war and killing people and justifying it to yourself and to whoever else, like as a, as a justification of what you're doing. Another interesting thing and that now that you said that is when he says that if, if going out and finding this guy earns him the right to go home, then it's worth for him to go out and find this guy so he can go home. You know, like, the, the goal is to win the war, but the other goal is to go home. And I totally agree with every single, every piece of that. I'm simply saying it seems like an unnecessary risk given our objective, sir. Our objective is to win the war. Now, I think if you add it up, said he had lost 94 right after Vin Diesel got killed. When there's... When there's Correct. So, Wade... So then... There, that means there is there's seven people counting him. One makes it back. Still so one alive. makes it back. So he two make it back. Yes, but Upham and um, Robin. I, I know. But what I'm saying is, Tom Hanks dies. Does oh that yeah. Make, does that yeah, make you're right. number one hundred? Right. Well, do we count all the people that were part of Ryan's group when uh, he's overseeing no. them? They're not in his crew. Okay. They, were, they were going so yeah, to right. die anyways. <laughs> it's a clean 100. Maybe that was on purpose. Maybe it wasn't. I, I literally know. just thought about that. Now. I was like, wait, he said 94. There's eight in the group. And I was just like, huh, just like try to add it up. And then at the very end, whenever Hordath is like shot in the chest, um, Hanks is like yelling at him if he's all right. And he's like, I just got the wind knocked out of me. Yeah, that's a good one. Just the that's typical tough guy line, you know. Ain't got, ain't got time yep. to bleed, yep. you know. Like, Yes. <laughs> we can put it right up there <laughs> yeah. with that. Maybe we should come up with a list of top tough guy lines. Yeah, but that's, that's all I got. All right. Okay. This, as we said to each other when we were prepping for this, this isn't exactly a quotable movie, but when you got two and a half hours and some of the really great intense scenes like this, you're going to get a couple. All right, Mike, who's your favorite character or character? I mean, I said, like, probably just, like, I have to go with, with Tom Hanks, like, pretty much no question. I'll, I'll toss in that I, that I think that Sizemore did an excellent job 
playing with the job, the role he was picked to play. Like this is by far, I think one of his best, maybe his best, probably his best acting. Definitely. Yeah. The more, the more I say it, and I I literally just wrote down, I go, does an excellent job. He should have stayed sober is what I have written. Yeah. He should have stayed sober. sober. We could have gotten a lot more out of Tom Sizemore. I'd like to see where his career's at if he stayed sober and could have been acting. There's a lot. There's a couple people in this movie that I feel like their career was could have been like more. Burns was like literally the perfect cocky asshole. He is. He was. Oh awesome yeah. in, in the movie too. Yeah, those were the two I had actually were Horvath and Ryben. I mean Miller is great. Tom Hanks, anything he's in is awesome. I don't care what it is. He's he's always it's just great. easy to pick. It's um, easy to pick the main character. But I was like the whole time I was thinking I was like, he's the best actor. He does the best job acting in the whole movie. But he is the main character, and it's. It's supposed to be centered around Matt Damon, but it's centered around Miller, like pretty much. It is. It's really about. It's about Miller. It's it, Matt Damon, as we said, doesn't show up till an hour and a half. In exactly. Movie. Yeah. Quick question. I know we're doing a recast later, but in 1998, is there anybody who could have played Miller as well as Tom Hanks? Um, he really, I know, like from what I read, he really put it all in for this movie. And as much as I love Harrison Ford. I think Harrison Ford was probably a little old, but if you would have had Harrison Ford, like 1987 Harrison Ford, maybe I was going to even just say, you know, last crusade, like, you know, right around the early nineties, even he, he was, yeah. still cause like we said, when he, we were doing uh Hollywood homicide, he, he had some time where he, he would felt like he was just getting a paycheck. He, he, he was, he was just, he was, he was like, how much effort he do was, I have to put in just to Maybe he's a good enough actor that even when he's not putting a lot of effort in, he's still good. You know, that, and that's the main, that was movies just weren't that good for like a 10 year period that he had there, mid, late nineties to like two thousands. Uh, but like, as much as I like him, like, I just don't see it. And then that's, they talk about Mel Gibson and I think of him in like the Patriot. And I think he could have put a pretty good role in, but there's something about, the innocence that Tom Hanks' face has. That's I mean, true. He just has this, like, innocence that just, like, like he, lo- he looks like, like, he's a guy, like, I feel like I could be friends with him. You know, like, he just, there's something about him. Like, he seems like a cool guy in real life, too. I guess that's part of it. But just, like, there's something about it that just, he just seems like a normal guy. And it makes sense because that's, what that was that's 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 who was over there you know there wasn't guys that signed up to be in the army Uh, yeah i agree not to change the subject but i have to do this so i wanted to research band of brothers really quick because i want to talk about them and who is staring at me on my imdb page but giovanni rubisi is staring at me right now for a commercial for sneaky pete his tv show it's yeah it's it's still creepy fucking dude Sorry. Anyways, he, he, he snuck up on you. <laughs> he's, he's, he's snuck sneaky. up on you. Little jackass. Let's get into the reason I brought it up because I want to make sure Steven Spielberg didn't direct Band of Brothers. He did not. He helped produce it. Our top five this week because Saving Private Ryan is it's literally considered an epic as a type of movie because it is such an epic. We decided to do two top five. So our first top five this week is Steven Spielberg. He doesn't really do TV, so we'll just say Steven Spielberg Productions movies, whatever you want to call it. Why don't you give a top five, Mike, that he directed, that he directed? You know, I thought this was going to be easy, and I was wrong. 
maybe a top 10 would be easy. <laughs> um, you know, his top, like these, some of these movies, some of these movies I'm going to say, you know, it's like, it's his top five and they're easily like five of his movies are possibly like the top 25 movies <laughs> of all time. <laughs> Just like, that's what I'm saying. It's like, like saving private Ryan. You know, that's definitely in my top 25 jaws in my top 25 Jurassic park in my top 25, you know, just, yeah. um, I wanted to try to pick the Indiana Jones movies, but that means I was gonna have to cut one out. <laughs> and I was like, I will not cut one of the main three out. Even. Well, I mean, obviously you would cut out uh temple. You, of Doom you, you would, would you would out. say that you would think that, but the truth is that that movie has a special place in my heart because it was the only one my grandparents had growing up. So I watched it about 8,000 times. See, that was um, Last Crusade for me. And I've seen Last Crusade like a thousand times, and the other ones I never really saw very much. Uh, and there are, I don't know, Short Round, that Pissy <laughs> never freaking made it in another movie. Like, uh, Look, the, the thing you liked about it the most, admit it, is the Dan Aykroyd cameo. Yeah, you know, exactly. <laughs> he, he, he could only get him that shitty plane that was owned by Lao Shea. <laughs> yeah. When I found that, I almost shit my pants i was just like i was, <laughs> you felt like I was just yeah. like i was like man that voice sounds familiar and then i looked and i was like holy shit i've watched this movie about a thousand times it just sent out that <laughs> i remember when you told me it i'm like get the fuck out of here he said no he's really in it and sure enough yeah so i have those i've seen brad ryan indiana jones jaws jurassic park and i put down close encounters of the third kind and then as my honorable mention i threw in as a, a childhood fun one is my hook my hook <laughs> Hook, oh god, Hook might be the well, worst movie. Well, I'm saying, go. When I was a little kid, I liked it. I was like, now I don't like it. Mm. But I was like, ah, kid me, Hook. Rufio, Rufio, Rufio. Right. I think it was about a million times we chanted that. Okay, so my five, I, I only gave one audible mention because I had to, you know, cut it short. I put Bridge of Spies. Have you seen that? I have seen that. It's really no, good. Yeah, it's good. I think it's underratedly good. It kind of fell under the radar. Another Tom Hanks Spielberg combination. Number five, I actually put Catch Me If You Can. I think that movie's awesome. We did it earlier this I year. Was gonna talk, I was going to talk that on my. Number four, I put Schindler's List. It's really long, but the scenes at the concentration camp at Auschwitz are fucking unreal. I... They're just so good. It is, it's a really long movie, but they are just out of this world good. I agree. I, I agree. That's another one that's like on my list, but it's one of those ones, you know, I, like I said, I go, sometimes when I think of a movie for me, I talk about ones that I find rewatchable. No offense to this list. I don't want to yeah. watch that movie over and over it's, again. It's, it's long and brutal, but man, is it fucking good. Uh, number two, I'm sorry, number three, I have the Indiana Jones series. And I will say, I know Raiders of the Lost Ark is considered like, the apex of movie making for a lot of people, but you and I are not film people. We are movie people. And for me, it's the last crusade. That movie is just so much fun. Sean Connery is at his peak and it's just awesome. It's just awesome. Number two, I have Jurassic park, which we're going to be doing that. Maybe we're going to do it next year. It's not on the list for this year. That movie is an absolute masterpiece as the the first blend of CGI and robotics and just so good. So good. And then I do have saving private Ryan as number one for me. Um, just 
I, I don't think anybody else could have done the movie this well. And this is something that I was thinking about this when I was watching this. If that movie is made today, how much of that is CGI? Oh, shit. So much of that movie is CGI. Yeah, and I think that takes away from it. And I think what made this movie so good is how incredibly real it is because he shot it real. Awesome. I mean, who uses a hundred, like 75 people that are amputees and blows fake limbs off them? You know, it's just it, it was just so good. I, I can't get my head it's past the that. authenticity of it. It's, that's what exactly it's just... an interesting thing. And I meant to say this when we were talking about the D-Day invasion. I don't know if you remember the Medal of Honor video games I used to play back in the day. Not the ones that are now like Call of Duty, but the original Medal of Honor games from like PS2. One of them is you open it's Medal of Honor front line. And you open with the D-Day invasion and it follows the exact sequence from Saving Private Ryan. And it, they worked with Spielberg and Hanks to develop it. It's, it's awesome. What, in, in the Call of Duty, Duty movies, I mean, not movies, the Call of Duty games. Games. Like the, the ones that I've, that I've played, are all, my favorite ones are always the World War II ones. Yeah, they're the best. They're the best. Just because it's real. It's there. Exactly. An interesting thing about Saving Private Ryan and Spielberg itself, Spielberg claimed he considered the film a passion project as a gift to his aging father, who was a World War II veteran. He further claimed that he made the picture against his uh, commercial instincts, believing it would never have a wide audience for World War II with graphic violence and was obviously pleasantly surprised when it became a blockbuster hit. Sometimes you you need a really, really good, intelligent person to get behind something with a little bit of passion and look what comes out. Anything else on Spielberg before we move on? Um, no, I think I'm good with him. One thing else I will say, and I heard this on a different podcast about Jaws. If you look up what's called the Jaws shot or the Spielberg shot, it's used all the time in movies now. It's the scene where, oh God, I can't remember his name. The guy that's he's sitting on the beach. The, the guy they bring in to investigate in Jaws. Roy um, the The sheriff. Yeah, there's a scene where a kid is getting a t- they someone yells shark and they zoom in on the guy. Oh yeah, yeah. It is literally called if you Google the Jaws shot or the Spielberg shot, that is the shot he invented that shot. So just a little kind of thing is how good he actually is. I was like trying to think of who you were talking about, and I was like, oh, yeah, I couldn't he, think of his name. Brody. So. Thank you. Yes, that's it. Our next top five is. World War II movies, because we've, as we said, Saving Private Ryan kind of needs its own thing. Why don't we get into what do you, what are your top five World War II movies? Oh, dude, this was hard. This was a tough. This was a tough list to, to skinny down. Oh, you know, since we're talking about World War II movies, uh, my dad listens to a micro podcast. Okay, I like micro. Uh, they're short little ones that he. I'm gonna have to ask him exactly what it's called. And I'm. I, I, I've I've heard him. It's like he kind of tells. A story, and then at the end reveals who the person. Yes, is about. exactly. Exactly. Yeah, they're really good. They're and really good. The the one that he talks about is about. Um, he goes on the story about how there's a guy. He was a really good baseball player. He wanted to go to West Point, and he wanted to play baseball. But West Point had some sort of rule that you couldn't be played to play a sport if you wanted to go to West. If you wanted to go to West Point, I'm pretty sure it's West Point. Someone's going to tell me that I'm wrong if I am wrong. <laughs> Go ahead. Tweet us at Worth the Watch PC. 
We're all, I'd rather get it right. That's all that matters. We'll give you a shout out in the it'll next It'll probably week. be my dad <laughs> if I get it wrong. <laughs> but he wanted to, play, wanted to play baseball, so he ended up playing a baseball under a fake name. I don't have the fake name. I don't have any. This is all just from memory that whenever I was listening to it with my dad. And this is probably two months ago about that I actually heard about this. So he went and played baseball under a fake name, made a little money, not a lot, ended up going to West Point, lied on his application, ended up going on being a really big name, ended up being this guy in World War II named Dwight D. Eisenhower. <laughs> wow, that's crazy. And like, so like, <laughs> if he wouldn't have lied on his and not gone to West Point and tried to play baseball, you didn't have the guy who won World War II, pretty much, you know. <laughs> yep, and then went and then became president and created the ten cents. Highway system that exists in the United States now. Created the dime, right? <laughs> yeah, I think he made the dime. That's right. <laughs> Another one of those that's good that actually is World War II related is there was a girl. She was from, I think, Czechoslovakia. She wanted to be a model. And the people around her refused. Her, I think her family refused. But her father was like a brilliant scientist. She defected. In the mid 1930s, because her, uh, she was Jewish, that I was think. here talking about. And she came to the U.S. and became an actress and a model, and became one of the most famous actresses in the United States. And then decided that she was concerned about being able to pass information back and forth over radio without it being intercepted, and came up with the concept of frequency, sorry, frequency hopping, which is used on Wi-Fi, it's used on cell phones, it's used on radar. All this stuff. She didn't get a lot of credit for it at the time, which is she's unfortunate. She's a female. And her name then. is. She's a female, and her name is Hetty Lamar, and she also. It's Hedley. Is the first one. <laughs> <laughs> yes, and supposedly they sued. Supposedly her family sued him over that. But if you don't know, what we're talking about watch um, Blazing mm-hmm. Saddles, and he, the character's name is Hedley, but her name is Hetty Lamar. She was the first woman ever to show her breasts on camera, too, on film. So there you go. Another fun fact. See. Another fun fact from World War II, but those micro podcasts, they're like two or three minutes long. They're really worth, uh, really worth listening to. There's a good one about Bruno Mars, too. That's kind of cool. But enough about podcasts. Back so, to our top five okay, World War II. Podcasts. Top five World War yeah. II. All right. Yeah. We're, I should have warned you guys in advance. This is going to be a long podcast. Bring a lunch. We're going to be all over the place. World War II movies. It's Like I said, it's, it's a huge, huge topic to talk about. You know, a lot going on. And you just, have, you just happen to be one of the guys I know that like World War II the best. So. That's gonna happen. Yes, um, but I obviously I have Saving Private Ryan. I have this was tough for me because there's a lot of old movies that I've seen like watch with my dad that I know he probably would like, smack me for not putting them on here. <laughs> but they're very but slow. They're not. They don't hold up. Like uh, it's not the same. Bridge over Bridge on the River Kwai yeah. and stuff. I've watched some of them. They just aren't. Yeah. They don't do it for me. I'm sorry, guys. You can yell at me and hate me for not liking films made before 1973, but they just don't hold up. But I, 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 ta- I did toss a few in there that I think that are good. Like I said, Saving Private Ryan, uh, I'll go toss some older ones in there that I put in. I put uh, The Great Escape, The Dirty Dozen. I have Inglorious Bastards, the newer one. Yeah. Um, Because there's an older one. And then I have Defiance. Good one. I'm sure you just used it. It's it's one that I was just kind of like, you know what? I go, that is, that is, that is. Daniel Craig, Liv Liv Shriver. 
you you turned me on to that movie. You told me about it, and I sat and watched it. And I was like, man, this movie is really was, good. It, it was, yeah. I, I didn't hear a lot about it when it came out. And then, you know, I think I probably back when Netflix gave out DVDs, got it and watched it. And I was just like, damn, that was a good movie. Like, was shocked. How much I, I remembered hearing about it, being interested, and then I never saw it and because I thought it was going to be good. Just an FYI, it's a uh, Czechoslovakian, Hungarian maybe, group of Jewish people that they know the Nazis are coming to take them, so they go out and hide in the woods and create their own civilization and fight back. It's really, yeah, really it's, good. It's it's like a World War II version of Red Dawn. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Only it probably actually happened. Yeah, except it's probably true. That was just like so, a couple honorable mentions I tossed in there were like uh, letters to Iwo Jima. Um, I threw Patton in there, and I threw The Longest Day. So just some older ones in there too. Iwo Jima, I watched it one time, and I really, I really like thought it was interesting and enjoyed it more than I thought I was going to. I think is what ended up happening. You you missed a couple really good ones, and if you haven't seen them, I'm going to put a lot of pressure on you. And I've, I've seen I've seen them all except for probably like one. I'm guessing. Okay. Uh, Dunkirk. Uh, yeah. On I honorable mention. Yeah. It's good. It's missing something. I don't know what. Maybe a main character. I think it jumps around a little bit too much. It's a good movie. I think it's missing something, though. And I have Defiance as my two honorable mentions. Uh, number five, I do have Inglorious Bastards. Another movie that I think could have been better if they cut 25 minutes out of the movie. Otherwise, it's really good. Really, really good. And. Christoph Waltz gives one of the best performances of the last 25 years. Sometimes it's just some little scenes could be shortened is what most of that movie Yeah, is. like the opening scene of him putting pressure on that French family on whether or not they're hiding Jewish people. It is so good, but they probably could have cut five minutes out of it. I, but that's, that's Tarantino. He's going to yeah. do his thing. Uh, number four, I have Fury. Ah, fuck, I can't believe I forgot that one. <laughs> so bad. Dude, that's yeah, a good I'm, one. I'm probably going to name off all these ones you forgot. Ah. Number three, Hacksaw Ridge. Uh, that's uh, Clint Eastwood, right? No, that's Mel Gibson's directorial movie. He came oh, oh no, I haven't it. seen that one. Actually, I haven't seen that one. It is so I'm, fucking I'm thinking good. of some other movie, that, and that's uh, I know exactly what movie there's that. And number two, I have Enemy at the Gates. You know, I, I thought about is that one. That, so that, is, good. that is good. That's got Ed, Ed Harris, Jude Law. Yep, and Jude Law. It is really, little, really good. And I had Saving Private Ryan number the, one just because I mean, of what it is. I mean, the sniper movie, you can toss Barry Pepper in there and have a little sniper bra. Yeah, <laughs> there we go. So okay. that's, that's mine. Okay. So you add, add Fury, Hacksaw Ridge, and Enemy at the Gates to that list, and we got a real list. So you've got it. If, if you haven't seen Hacksaw Ridge, you have to see it, Mike. It's it's incredible. Um, Yeah, it's one of those ones I'm surprised I haven't seen. You know, it's like I see it, and I'm like, I'm going to watch it, I'm going to watch it. But I know, like I said, it's going to be sort of like a Saving Private Ryan movie. It's kind of like a movie like I don't just throw Saving Private Ryan on to watch it. It's like I know, I, I know, yeah, it's, I, it, you have to sit down and watch. It's, yeah. it's, you know, it's a three hour movie pretty much. You know, it's like it. The best thing about Enemy of the Gates and Hacksaw Ridge is their true stories. And they're hot. They're validly true stories. And they are incredible stories of overcoming stuff. The other one I'll, I'll kind of sprinkle in there. It's good. I feel it's a little long. It's almost tough to watch at times. It's unbroken. It's Angelina Jolie's directorial debut. It's about oh, a guy yeah. who was an Olympic sprinter or runner yeah. and spends a whole bunch of time in a Japanese POW camp. And it's it's a little tough to watch at times because they just they just brutalize them. It's good too. It's I'll put it on the Schindler's List type of that World War Two movie. Well, so. And that's what the other thing I was like 
Schindler's List, I know it's an awesome movie, but I go, I, I was like, I, I want to watch these movies. And if you notice, I put Schindler's List on my Spielbergs, but not on my World War II movies. Yep. So there's other World War II movies out there to watch. <laughs> that you should watch. And you know what? I think what we should start doing, Mike, we'll start posting our our combined list of best top five, of our top fives each time. I'll try and put them out there so you guys know what movies to, to go and check out. Before we Bye, move on to our next scene, let's take a, a quick break with a word from our sponsor. Okay, so let's get on to other thoughts on the movie. So I have, I have a question for you, Mike. Yeah. Is this Tom Hanks's peak? <sighs> this is definitely Tom Sizemore's peak. Is this Tom Hanks's peak? I, I, I'm not sure. I, I don't think he's done yet, you know, even. It's like, I wouldn't say he's done yet. I mean, what, two years later he did Castaway? That was like 2000, 2001. That's true. And, you know, Forrest Gump was four years before this. And Philadelphia was the year, I think, 95. But I was just thinking, like, is this kind of the peak of him? Because he was coming off of those two, one or two Oscars. I forget if he won one or two. I know he won it for Philadelphia. I can't remember if he won it for Forrest Gump or not. I mean, Um, his, his, like, he had a, just a year. I mean, he did Apollo 13 in 95. He did Toy Story, Voice of Woody, you know. That's true. That was 96. Um, but I'm saying 98, was that like, did he build up and that was kind of like his peak? Like he was at the absolute peak of his career. Well, it's like We're going to do more Tom, Hoover, Tom Hanks movies later. Um, there's a lot on our list. And we'll probably really dive I mean, into his career. No, I just kind of was I thinking can't, about I can't because he's got, you know, we're talking about Catch Me If You Can, Road to Perdition, like Terminal. Oh, Road to Perdition is so fucking like, good. The Terminal is yeah, very good. It's underrated. Oh, def- good. that's definitely an underrated. But- I almost put it on my Spielberg list because some a lot of people don't like it. I think that movie is completely unwatchable um, without Tom Hanks. You, I know you like Charlie Wilson's War. One of my favorite the, movies like, ever. The Da Vinci Code movies. Like I'm just like rattling them off now. Think of my head. Bridge Bridge of Spies, which I just yeah, brought Bridges up, Spies. came out like said, a few years ago. It was only a few years ago. And, and you said he was something with the Pacific. The so they made Band of Brothers in two thousand one, and that's ten episodes. I'll I'll, I'll bring that. Let me bring that up while we're here. So th- those guys created a thing that follows the hundred first Airborne from when they par- when they're in. It starts with them in Europe, in Britain, getting ready and going through camp to parachuting in behind enemy lines in France, going through the Battle of um, the Battle of the Bulge, all the way through southern France, and ending up in Austria at the end of the war. It is the best 10-part series I've ever seen in my whole life. That was produced by Tom Hanks and Steven Spielberg. Six, seven, eight years later, they made another one, with called the Pacific. It's a 10 part series. It's all about the Pacific war. It starts in Guadalcanal, works us up to Pelelu, then to Iwo Jima and then Okinawa. And it just follows a different storyline. It's not as consistent as band of brothers. It kind of jumps around because with band of brothers, they followed the 101st airborne all the way through and they were able to follow them all the way through the same characters. This one, um, they rotated Marines in and out a little bit more when it came to the Pacific, they would rotate them in and out versus having them land and just go because they were Island hopping. So one would hop around the next one in essence. So it was a little, it was a little different, it's really, really good too. But Hanks is not in either one of those. 
he is produces those though. He's like, I, I know I saw like I haven't seen him all like I was it was randomly where I was somewhere and the Pacific was on, and I think I heard Hanks was like a he like was like a the voice narrator of like it or you know like the voiceover like was talking about a bit. Um, I can't remember. It's been I saw it when it first came on. I actually saw it before I ever saw Band of Brothers because I had oh, HBO curious. at the time. I'm looking it up. But I, I mean, I know he's heavily involved in it. He is a narrator, it says. No, okay. But... All right. Then I couldn't remember if there was narration to it. Set yourself that as, as to watch, Mike. You know yes. I've given you your list, and I'm going to add Hacksaw Ridge to that running All list. Right. Well, 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 just that's something to float out there. Uh, you guys can yell at us if you feel like But, it. I mean, I guess when we go back to other thoughts in the movie – they do a good job all around, giving you a kind of a sense of little little scenes and stuff and spots. I noticed that you get a sense of just what war what war is like. Like I just think of the scene where um, Gina Bonner or BC's character dies, and then they're like, "Do we kill this German soldier? Do we don't kill this German soldier?" Some people are fine with following the orders. Some of them are not fine with following the orders. Where you have it all right. break out. And you know that, like, some people were like, we can't just kill them because it brings us to their level, you know. And it's just, there's so many little things that go on that you're just, like, trying to think of. And I told myself, I was like, if I was in that situation when he blindfolded the guy and was walking away, I would have looked at Barry Pepper and been like, yeah, when you when you think he's gone about 100 steps, pick your rifle up and just take him out. <laughs> just because, like. You would want to. No. And would I would, to. would have, that's probably what I would have said. I'd probably been like, that way he thinks he's getting away you kill him because like you said, he's, he's the shit that freaking kills like a bunch of people at the end. So an interesting thing about that, they call him steamboat Willie in the movie for the record, because he says that he is not the one that kills Mellish. No, I know the guy that kills Mellish is a Waffen SS soldier. Literally. I thought it until I read it this time and I had to look again. I know. I know he is the one that kills Miller. I noticed that whenever he, walk down the stairs this time just like again i was like that's that doesn't look like him yeah and i think i used to feel that before and then i was like no no no, it's definitely him and then uh as you were saying about kind of like getting an understanding of war one of the reasons they have up him shoot him is to show how it breaks him and it makes him come down to the level of what war really is and uh it's deep it's deep that they do that so I'll ask this since since you kind of brought it up. Uh, one thing about this movie that they do is they really make you like these characters very quickly. Which character's death upset you the most? I think the hardest two to watch are def- definitely Goldberg's. Yeah, his is it, really it's hard just, to watch. It's just tough because it's, it's like brutal. it's just such a struggle, and you're seeing the other guy who's been shot like bleeding out right next to him, and knowing that Upham's literally just like on the stairs. All he do is go upstairs and shoot, shoot him. Shoot yeah. him. You know what? You don't even have to kill the guy. Like swing your gun and smack him in the head, and let Goldberg finish him off. You know, like whatever. Yeah, it's like there's you, you don't have to like, um, and th- that's that's another thing where it's just like. You're like, uh, it's just, I, I would probably have to say his was the most frustrating because it could have been avoided because of Upham. Makes it yeah, hard. Is that, I'll agree is to that. that. You're watching it and you're like, you want Upham, you think 
he's going to come up at the last minute and save his ass. Like he's going to just break and he doesn't. And he doesn't. And you're just like, oh my god, Goldberg's dead. The Jewish guy's dead. The guy who's like we're fighting for for this war is dead. Like you're just you just you just like, yeah. get angry. And it's like do you remember BC's character? Like you said, you don't like him, so you probably didn't care. But it's like, no, it's still full. It's just, I actually have something about it, that it, in the. I know it's a movie. You know, but. it's just. I'm always surprised, like, would they have sent he even sent him up there because he's the medical guy if somebody else... That's literally what I've written down. Take... I know you're going to use... They're, they're trying to use all their men to take the yeah. radio tower, and he's obviously a skilled enough soldier to be able to do it, but I don't think he would send the medic into like that. Maybe. I just don't... That wouldn't make yeah, sense. Yeah, he probably would have had him hang back with... Um, with up him. Shit, I would have had up him up there first and been like, you stand behind me and throw a grenade when I tell you to. That's it. I, I don't... It didn't make sense to me, but... That's the literally the only I know it's a movie, but that I have, but I can't say anything because I've never been in combat and I have no idea what the actual situation. No, it, exactly. Yeah, you don't know. I mean, it, like you said, you probably want your best guys forward. You want your best guys getting your back. So I guess that's probably- right. And yeah. that's a difficult bunker to take out. So you need every all hands on deck. Exactly. But, and so. just something else too. You know, at the end of the movie when he. It, it goes back to him at like Arlington National Cemetery, and they're looking at Miller's grave, and his wife walks up to him, and it's like this wife's reading the name off and has no idea who this guy is. Well, he's probably kept it exactly, in and that's just like showing you that's the type of situation it was. Well, yeah. that just man mentality, you know, like back then it's just you kept your emotions in, you held everything in. So if you know somebody and have somebody like try to get what you know out of them now what kind of stories you can learn about it because they like said yeah like what my grandfather died like a year and a half ago from world war ii yeah i think uh i saw this fact more people die more world war ii vets die today every day yeah more today more world war ii vets die every day than did during the war wow because they're all aging out. Yeah, because they're all. I mean, if if you were in World War Two now, like you were, you're over. In, you're in your nineties. Yes, likely in your nineties. Uh, my grandfather died at eighty eight, and that was in two thousand ten, uh, December two thousand ten. And he was born in 1922, so he was like 1920 when he went in. So you couldn't have been much if you were born. You would have to be. Let's see the quick math. Let's say you enlisted in 1944 and fought in 1945 at the age of 18. Carry the one. You'd been born in 19 what 26. Which would make you ninety three, right? I was gonna say is my grandpa, what died right after he turned ninety three. That was that, yeah. That, so you have to be ninety three. You'd have to be like was, minimum ninety three years old. He was pretty too. young when he w- went in. Like they said, he go. He was, you know, he was your eighteen year old pretty much. You know. Yeah. So you'd have to be minimum ninety three to even be likely have fought and seen action in World War Two. So like I said, he'd be. 90. Get it while you can. Yeah, he'd be 94 right now. So, A couple other things. I really like the part where Horvath is collecting dirt from everywhere he's been. Because that's what a lot of soldiers he's... actually did. Yeah, I thought that was kind of cool. Yeah, 
I, I, I always ended I, that. I, know, I tried to do it with sand once, and the sand got really gross, so I had to stop well, doing it. Well, I know a lot of what, you know, probably other military guys are thinking in their head, you know, you you don't want to carry extra shit with you. So, that's what yeah. I was kind of and thinking when kind of I saw it again. Too. I was like, do you really want to carry that shit around with but, you? But, you know, I guess you you take your priorities and check and everything like that. Um, yeah. But yeah, that's that, that. I mean, that definitely is a definitely good scene. And I'm just like you, just like other things, you know. Just, um, I know the actors did like boot camps and stuff like that for the movie. Yeah, and they were talking about too that just. And Tom Hanks was just like everyone to quit, and Tom Hanks was like pretty much like suck it up, bitches. We ain't quitting. <laughs> well, so uh, just since you brought it up, they did do a one week long boot camp. Uh, Tom Hanks had already done a Vietnam movie. I, I don't remember what it was. It, it was from before. And the same guy that did the boot camp for that one, Tom Hanks had already done. He didn't say anything to them going in. They thought it was going to kind of be like camping and singing Kumbaya. And the guy beat the shit out of them for the for a week. And t- Hanks already knew that going in, how rough it was going to be. But one thing that was really smart Spielberg did is everybody had to do boot camp except for Matt Damon. Because he wanted them to have a little bit more, really actually feel that animosity towards him. I thought that was really, really another, just him being super brilliant about everything he does. Another thing, as we said before, we're movie people, not film people. But the the, the scenic shots in this movie are incredible. Like some of the things where they're walking oh, through the French fields. Like the uh, bombs are going off in the background. Not even that, like just when they're walking, a couple different scenes when you see them walking. I also, I also um, like that when they're just talking and scene stuff. where it's raining and rain yeah, drops, that one's the really raindrops good. and you hear the pitter patter of the raindrops and it slowly turns into gunfire. Yeah. So something interesting about that, since we're discussing it, the siege in the vil- village of Rommel was filmed on set, created on a, di- in a, on a disused airfield in Hatfield, England. The bridge was uh, across a three-foot-deep canal created for the movie. And the earlier scenes in the village of Nouvelle-en-Plaine, which is the one you're talking about when it's raining, is actually the same same set, but they shot it from different angles. Gotcha. Which is incredible. That's pretty cool. Gotcha. Because I was – as I'm watching, I'm like, how did they come up with, like, this rubble town? And they just – they built one themselves. So uh, Aaron and I went to France for our honeymoon, and part of what I wanted was inspired by this movie. I wanted to take a train through France. So we flew into Paris and took the train to Nice. But because I'm an idiot, we flew overnight into Paris. I got on the train. I fell asleep. So I missed all of it. So that was good. Because I thought I'd see all this, like, scenic stuff. No, I didn't. Yes, you are an and idiot. And I want. Yes, I am an idiot. The other, the other question I had, the one thing, the other little complaint I have is the scene at the very end, right when Miller, the bomb goes off and it slows things down for Miller one last time. And he's looking around and he see, sees Horvath is dead and he sees Ed Burns shooting and trying to hide. And then they cut to Matt Damon and he's literally in the fetal position rocking back mm. and forth. And crying. I'm very glad you brought this up because I have this written down too. I was like, the guy who wanted to stay and be all tough is sitting there crying like a little bitch. I feel like they didn't need that scene. Like, they could have just had him knocked down or something. Like, wh- that really cuts into the character of, of Ryan itself. It, 
exactly what I felt too. I was like, you're making him to be out. Like you want the other guys to have respect for him, you know, like, yeah. And it doesn't. And I, that kind of, I don't the whole time that. it does. Cause he wants to get in the fight. He wants to get in the war. And at the very end, you're going to have him like hugging his legs, crying like a little baby. And I was just like, yeah. I, I, you know, you just watch that scene. I was just like staring at it. I was like, why would they do that? But, yeah. Why'd they do um, that? that? That didn't make sense to me, but I don't know. Maybe they got tired of editing at that point. <laughs> I just feel like they could have had him doing a lot of other things. Like he could have been on the ground trying to crawl or just kept like, if he was just laying on the ground, continue ducking. Cause if you're laying there crying like that, you probably would have gotten shot. You're making yourself too visible. You should have been down on the ground, like ducking bullets. No, yeah. done, I think better. All right. That's all my thoughts on the movie. I tried to keep it short because I knew how long we were going to go. What else do you have? Mike? just that little bit, you know, like during Towards the end of the uh, the beach scene, where they got the two soldiers are surrendering, and yes, they're they're speaking what the other guys probably assume are German to them, and they're trying to surrender, and the guys just shoot them and kill them, and they ask him like, oh, you know, what 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 did what were they saying? He's like, oh, look, I washed for supper, and they just laugh about it. Well, it turns out it's they're actually speaking Czech, and they're saying, I I'm not even looking at it right now, but it's something like. Don't shoot. Don't shoot. Don't I'm shoot. not German. Uh, a lot, As I'm, it turns I'm out, a lot Czech. of people that were kidnapped were forced to fight for the German army um, in the East and the West. And that was part of it. They were kidnapped and taken and essentially put into um, military enslavement. So that was what they were trying to say. Is, Look, I'm not German. Don't shoot me. But the language barrier, and they were not in the mood. Uh, I'm sure that happened more than once. Yeah. All right. So... Yeah. We've gone through a lot of internet facts. I've got a couple more I want to buzz through real quick before we get into the remake because we already got we've, we've gone for quite a while on this movie, yeah. not as long as I thought I would. But uh, a couple more things. Number one, uh, some critics complain that the scenes where the Rangers are throwing mortar rounds by hand at the German soldiers was unrealistic. In fact, Medal of Honor recipient Charles Kelly actually did this during the Battle of Italy in 1943. So critics can suck one. Number two. Private Jackson killing the German sniper by firing a shot through the man's scope and into his eye was based on a true incident, though not in World War II, and not by a Private Jackson. It was accomplished by Marine Gunnery Sergeant Carlos Norman Hathcock II during the Vietnam War. Hathcock was a sniper who was being fired at by a concealed North Vietnamese sniper. He finally managed to catch a glimpse of the man's sniper scope and put it through it, killing him. They did this one on Mythbusters. And they had a really hard time proving it. I think it ended up being plausible, is what they called it. But I don't think anybody's going to question that guy. Uh, and the last thing I had, and this was pretty cool, the special effects guy rigged the actor's rifles with a special sensor that would send a signal to exploding squibs located on their target. Shortly after they pulled the trigger, the target thing would detonate, creating a realistic impact for both the shooter and the target. So I thought that was pretty cool how they rigged it up so it looked like they were shooting each other. So that's the only three I had. Everything else we already went through uh, in a, while we were talking. Do you have any more? Just just some small, tiny ones that maybe I'll I'll toss a few in there. Garth Brooks almost played Private Jackson. Yeah, I saw that. Yeah. I, I don't know if I believe that or not. That would have been horrible. Barry Pepper was fantastic. Yeah, 100% agree. Um, something about how they captured the cinematography. They they used like actual films, like modern lenses and filming, shooting cameras, making them look like the images 
looks like they were from 1940. Oh, cool. They used, uh, they modeled the look of the D-Day sequence on like bleached out grainy, the bleached out grainy look of the D-Day, everything like that. I know that they, the way they, they shot this, they had like the color and resolution really like turned down that people were complaining about their TVs and networks had to like jack the color up <laughs> because they thought that something was on their TVs. And I know something with the sound that a lot of movies don't turn the sound up all the way because they want you to hear the words being said. But yeah. Spielberg actually sent out this movie like, no, jack up the volume because she wanted it to feel like you were actually there, like struggling to hear sometimes some people when they're talking and everything. I thought that was just kind of cool how like, like it goes back to him wanting it to sound really, really authentic. I feel like this would be a good one to go see in IMAX. Uh, yeah, I'm sure it would be a great one to see in, in IMAX. Oh, here's here's the one that I wanted to talk about is uh, James Doohan. He's actually the guy who plays Scotty in the original Star Trek. Yeah. Um, he lost a middle finger on his right hand and was wounded in the leg during the war. He also participated in the invasion of Normandy on June 6th in 1944 on, at Juneau Beach. where the, Wow. Third Canadian inter- with the uh, Third Canadian Infantry Division led the attack, and he commended Spielberg for not leaving out any of the gory details. Yeah, good. But I just wanted to add. I, that's what I was looking for down there because I thought it was kind of cool to like a famous actor, and I never. And now I like want to go back and watch Star Trek to see if I can see him missing a middle finger. <laughs> and that's about it. Okay. Well, let's get on to our last thing. So. I don't know if this could be remade, but if they try to remake it today, we could at least try and make it reasonable. Here's some people that we could cast in it today. So why don't you start? You had Horvath Miller and I think Wade, correct? Yes. Uh, and if you're wondering who that is, that's Tom Hanks, Tom Sizemore, Giovanni Ribisi's character. For Tom Hanks's character, I put down two people to choose from. Either Michael Fassbender or Leonardo DiCaprio. I don't know how I feel about DiCaprio. Fassbender, yes. I thought I was thinking that too, but I saw I've seen DiCaprio in Inception. He can handle a gun. I've seen him in. I'm Blood, sure he can Blood, do it. He's like Blood the best Diamond, actor in the planet. Blood but. Diamond, you know. I'm just think of other movies like that, and like I said, he has a face of somebody who doesn't look like they're supposed to be in war. Can like, I throw one like, more at you like, just because they they love World War Two movies? Sure. Brad Pitt. You, you know, he was on my list on my list too. Like I have I literally like have on a piece of paper I was laying in bed last night just writing down names of actors that popped in my head that I could thought could be in this movie somewhere. Just, He's been in three World War Two movies already. I have so many just like <laughs> written down here. But for Tom Sizemore, I put down uh, if he wouldn't go, because I said he looked a little bit older, I put down Gerard Butler, uh, which sure. which is also suggested to me by a friend too when I asked them, and then uh, I put down maybe even like if you want to go younger. I said it really depends like how old you're going with a lot of these people and stuff like that. I didn't really know exactly. I was trying to keep them around the same age, or like a Tom Hardy, someone who just looks a little tougher. I actually figured Tom Hardy was the pick you'd have for Horvath because he's like the perfect guy to play that position yeah i'm gonna throw two more at you they might be a little bit older but again they look young enough and that's all that matters your boy sean beam he'd have to die obviously well good <laughs> and then good, uh, good for him he'd get to 
Yeah, and then uh, I actually even thought Jeremy Renner. Do you know Jeremy Renner's like 47? I, I did know he was that old, and Jeremy Renner is on my pad. <laughs> yeah, because I, I, I just kind of – I probably did the same thing you did, which you went and looked up military movies that you know. Well, I was actually looking at age ranges. It's the main thing that yeah. I do is I look at age ranges of different actors and just kind of go through that to kind of gauge what I'm going to pick. And I, did, I didn't mean to jump your picks, but these are people that popped in my head. And no, I no, down, no, so that's, that's, that's fine. You'd find I'm interesting. I'm probably going to jump some of your picks too, so don't worry about that. That's it. fine. We'll just add, um, we'll add them into the list. But uh, Gina Vodden and Rebisi, I put down Shia LaBeouf. Yeah, and he did Fury, and he was he was really good in it. Because he's not – He's excellent in Fury, actually. Yeah, he's – that that cast in Fury is pretty solid. Yeah. It is. I have uh, – for Matt, Matt Damon, because I apparently I, – did him too. Um, That's all right. I put down uh, Miles Teller, and then I thought if you wanted to go really young, like somebody who's really young, you could try to do like Tom Holland. I think I have a better one. Luckily, Aaron watches TV, and that's where you can find younger actors. And for Ryan, there's a guy named Jesse Lee Soffer. He's in the show Chicago PD. He's actually in his mid-30s, but he looks younger. And I he uh, – He's a badass in the show. He can kick some serious ass. So I'm going a little off the board on this, but these are TV actors that are younger because I feel like that's kind of what you need for this. The other two people I had are Caparzo, and I thought of two people. The first one I had is a guy named Sullivan Stapleton. If you've ever seen the second 300 movie, he's the main character in that. I know who you're talking about. Yeah, he's in the show Blind Spot, and he's he's the show's not that good, but he knows how to handle himself in that show. The other person I thought of is Rob Riggle. He was a lieutenant colonel in the United States Marine Corps. I mean, he'd be the perfect guy to pl- kind of play a Caparzo, which he can be tough, but he can be funny too. And then the last person I had is Ribin, which is Ed Burns' character, and the two people I came with, one, his name's Taylor Kinney. He is in the show Chicago Fire. Good-looking guy, mid-30s. Or I thought Chris Pine, one of our Chris's. I thought about a lot of the Chris's, but I, I landed on Chris Pine. I feel like we need to throw him a bone, and I think he'd be really good in this as, as Ribin. You, you want to hear some of the people I have on my list for random people? Sure, go movie? ahead. They're in no – I'm not going to name – what character they're going to play, but just, just they could be. Actors. Yeah. And we actually even consider doing that. It's like, just name a list of people that could be yeah. in this movie, but like Hugh Jackman. Sure. Um, Josh Duhamel. Josh Duhamel. Definitely. He's done it before. Uh, Timothy Oliphant. Uh, yes. I, he'd be Jake, one of like the higher ups. Yes. Jake Gyllenhaal. Sure. He's carried a gun before. John Hamm. Hammy. Would he work for Miller? Maybe. He might. He might. Um, Arnie Hammer. Sure. Henry Cavill. Definitely. James McAvoy. Sure. Uh, Charlie Hunan, Hunan or whatever his name is, Hunan, the guy yeah. from Sunday and Ricky. Yeah. Put down Edward Norton. Uh, the guy that I had, I know I had this guy down possibly is uh, the guy for uh, Horvath was uh, Joe Magnaliano. Yeah, Joe Magnaliano. He definitely could get in there. Magnaliano. Yeah, that's it. Um, Pittsburgh native. Even tossed a little Ryan Gosling in there. Sure. I mean, a lot, any one of those actors that, that can at least carry themselves and has yeah. carried a gun before. Channing Tatum, Bradley Cooper, Liam Hemsworth, 
Ben Affleck and Scott Eastwood. I like I like Liam Hemsworth for it because if you've ever seen the second, yeah, I think it's yeah the second Expendables movie, he's pretty yeah, he's badass really for the small parties in it. Yeah, he's really good at dying too. Yes, he is, and uh, we can recycle a couple people, including Ryan Hurst. He could come back, and I said this to you before. I think Vin Diesel could be in it again. He looks the same. He's, he's, he's like I said. His face looks the same, his body not so much. Yeah. <laughs> he, he's put on a little bit of muscle since then. But, and he's also put on a few LBs since he put on his muscle. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Where he's actually chubbed up a little bit, I believe. When I saw him in one of the last, like, not the last one, but I can't tell you the last Fast and Furious I saw, but it was one of the last ones like that I didn't wa- I don't sit down and watch them if they're on TV. I'll humor them for a while. And I remember he like was wearing a cutoff and fighting the rock in it. And like, he ended up beating almost killing the rock. And I was like, this is bullshit. Yeah. <laughs> Cause he look, cause the rock looks huge and he looks like chubby. He looks, like he's got a gut, like a beer gut. You know what? Because you brought up the rock. Statham is someone we could add in here, but they'd have to run into like the British Rangers guy. The exactly. British, uh... Cause I was like, I don't know if I've ever heard him not use a British accent in anything. He's no, he can't. He can't use a non-British accent. All right. Well, that, that concludes this. I hope you learned something. Mike and I just filled your brains with a lot of garbage. Oh yeah, we did. But anything else before we go, Mike, anything else about saving private Ryan? It's an awesome movie. I really can't say anything more about it. If you haven't seen it, you should see it. I understand if you can't understand, if you can't stand, if you can't gore, stomach it. Yeah. Yeah. I get it, but if you can if you can stomach blood and guts, I say watch this movie, and you might interest yourself in World War Two a little bit more because it's it's very realistic. Is the main thing. It's not it's not fake. Moving on to our next movie, it is uh, how's the best way to put this? I'm gonna I'm gonna plant my flag on one of the re, on one of the recasts, Mike. But it's the it's the biggest slam dunk we've ever had in a recast in any movie ever. I'm going to say that it, it takes place in another universe in and Earth, and it's uh, it's one that the the nostalgia will will grow gra- rapidly for you. Make sure you follow us on Twitter at Worth the Watch PC. Email us at Worth the Watch Podcast at gmail.com. Check us out on Facebook. Make sure you like and share us. If you do look us up on Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts or Spotify, please give us a rating. It helps. And we've gotten a couple out there, including a, a nice comment or two. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, Mike, what's the Instagram? Uh, it's, Instagram is worth the watch PC with uh, each space has it's an underscore. All right. And uh, I think that's all we have. Thanks for listening. We'll catch you next time. All right. Thanks, you guys, later.